Welcome to the weekly Beach Church Message Podcast. We are back into our road trip, journey through the scripture series and looking at Daniel chapter three this week. It is a great message. You're not going to want to miss it. To let you know about a few things coming up in the life of Beach Church, the next round of Starting Point is coming up. It is starting in early July. You can go to todayatbeach.com to sign up for that or to invite someone to come through it with you. Also, the Global Leadership Summit. We keep talking about this because it is so important to the Multiply Vision at Beach Church. It's going to be August 4th and 5th. You can choose to attend in person or online. Again, you can go to todayatbeach.com to sign up for that and get more info. But now let's turn our attention to Daniel chapter 3. Good morning, good morning. Welcome to Beach Church. Welcome to each of you joining us here in the room at our Jacks campus. And welcome to each of you joining us online. My name is Michael. I'm one of the pastors here. Uh, and as you've seen, we're in a series for this summer called Road Trip Journey Through the Scriptures. And we're currently in the book of Daniel. And so we're walking through right now the first six chapters of the book of Daniel. Now last week we took a little detour because last week was Father's Day. So we had a whole panel of fathers up here from different walks of life and different ages. If you missed that last week, I'd love to encourage you to go back and check that out because it was a great time learning from people, real life stories of what does it mean to be a father and to try to model the life of Jesus uh, to our children and to our spouses. Uh, So I'd do that. And now uh, this week, we're jumping back in to the book of Daniel. We're actually going to be in Daniel chapter 3. Okay, so that's where we're going to be landing. Um, before we get into anything, though, um, as, as Pastor Jerry referenced last week, but just as a, a quick, you know, hi, you know, I am uh, going to be, you know, leaving here soon. Uh, I'm on my last few weeks here uh, as a pastor here. I'm leaving not because of uh, necessarily anything except for I was, I'm a missionary at heart. My family has worked in missions for years and we're going back into the mission field in a few weeks and we're still going to be stateside. We'll be actually pioneering something brand new in inner city Detroit, Michigan. Um, so if you didn't know that, now you know. So surprise this morning uh, for you. But I, I want to say that not because like, ooh, hey, look at, look at this story, but just say a heartfelt thank you to each and every one of you guys. It's been a privilege to be here um, for a few, the few years that we have been. Um, thank you to each of you so much for loving our family, uh, for allowing us to grow, to serve here with you. And so many of you have met so much on our journey. Um, and it's because of our time here that we really feel the equipped and ready to jump back into what we believe God has for us next. And so I just wanna say that first. This is my last time I get to stand up here and do this with you, and so I couldn't do that without saying that first. So thank you for everything these past few years, and we're, we're going to miss you guys, but as we go, we, we go as an extension of Beach Church, just in another part uh, of, of God's kingdom and doing what he's called us to do. Um, so with that out of the way, let's jump into what we're talking about today, because uh, the, the essence of the book of Daniel, one of the things that really sticks out about the message of this book is, as Pastor Jerry referenced a few weeks ago, uh, Daniel and then the three others, which is uh, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, which we now, we usually call them by their Babylonian given names, which is Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego. Um, These guys were very young uh, when their nation was conquered by Babylon, and therefore they're taken away from everything that they know. 
right? They lose their nation. They lose the family systems and structures. They lose the temple, which they were always associate with. How do they relate to God himself? And they're placed right in the middle of a completely different kingdom uh, in Babylon, one that has always been a rival and, a, and to them a representation of an evil way empires work in the world. And now they're faced with this big question, how do I continue to walk faithfully with God in a culture and a time that is pulling them in every other direction, right? How, does it, how do they still relate and, and be f- faithful followers of God when everything around them is trying to mold them and shape them and transfer their identity into something that that empire encourages? And so that's the struggle that they're trying to walk through. And there's a lot of practical wisdom that this book gives us. And so Pastor Jerry looked a few weeks ago at kind of how they got started. And in the first few stories, it just shows them rising to the occasion and and they prove how much uh, they are different from the people around them, not because they're better than anybody else or because they're specially skilled, but just because God is with them. And that's what's told over and over in the story. Um, We're kind of jump leapfrogging Daniel chapter two a little bit. So I want to preface that because it's a super important chapter uh, in all of the Bible because it is literally a time where uh, the king of Babylon, King Nebuchadnezzar, has a dream and this dream is of this massive statue. And in the statue, it's made of different metals for different parts. And so he's trying to figure out what does this mean? And eventually through the story, Daniel is the one that steps up and says, hey, I can't necessarily interpret it, but I believe God can, and he, he will empower me to do so. And so he interprets it for him, and, and basically the different types of the, the statue just represent different kingdoms. And he, he lets him know, hey, Nebuchadnezzar, the head, which is made of gold, is, represents you guys, Babylon. But after you is coming a several kingdoms, several different empires, that it's going to keep succeeding until we get to the point where the last one is called iron and clay. And then there's a rock that's picked up out of the earth. It's not a cut out rock by humans. It's just a rock and it dashes the statue to pieces. Um, And he says, this is, God is saying that in that time, in that kingdom, he's going to set up a kingdom that will never end. A kingdom that will supplant all the earthly empires of the world. And he's basically calling the shot about 600 years in advance of when he's launching the ministry of the kingdom of God through Jesus himself. And that's the super important chapter. Um, So that's two. Now when we hit three, the first thing you find out in chapter three is that Nebuchadnezzar decides to make a huge statue. And you're like, that sounds similar. Except for this time, they're like, hey, what do you want it to be made of? What do you want to look, king? And he says, make it all of gold. The whole thing. Now, in two, remember they say, well, he's just the head. And that's it. Then it starts going to everybody else. Doesn't seem like Nebuchadnezzar's quite gotten the point because he's like, no, we're going to make a statue and all of it's going to be gold. All of it's going to be about us. Right? So that's where we enter in. But he doesn't just make a statue. He makes a statue and then, and then says to everybody in his empire, hey, you know what? When music is played, because evidently he has a band on standby, uh, whenever music gets played, you, everybody in the kingdom has to drop down and worship this image of gold, which is representative of the gods of Babylon. And if you don't, the consequence is you'll be burned alive. Right? Sounds like a fun choice. Right? When the beat drops, you drop. 
If not, you get burned. That's, that's the choice they're faced with. So when we jump in, we're going to jump to verse 8, and that's just all the context of what's happened so far in the first seven verses. But this is what I want you to be thinking about, because this is, again, the choice that, that these guys are facing. It is, how do I live faithfully? I think we can, because of we live in such a different time and different culture, we sometimes can be lulled to thinking, oh, we don't have to face these types of decisions. And for the most part, yes, we don't, because we live in a culture that, you know, it's not necessarily that you're going to be put to death because you didn't bow down to the right God, right? It's a very different way of thinking. But we also uh, sometimes lose sight that we don't necessarily live in the kingdom of God just yet. We still live in a culture that is very much a Babylon of our time. It's very much a place that if, if we allow it to, is, doing, is pulling us in a hundred different directions and trying to mold each person after the shape of whatever person is in charge of that. And so we still have to wrestle, what does it mean for us to live faithfully to God right now? In the midst of all the stuff that goes on every single day, I mean, how many of you, you don't have to raise your hand on this, but how many of you feel like every single day there's something new trying to vie for our attention, vie for our allegiance, vie for our hearts, uh, our, all the above, our money, our, our everything. And yet we have to sit down and wrestle, how do I make decisions and honor God with all that I am and all that I have? And that's still the question. So I believe this story is going to draw out some important stuff for us to take to heart Especially if, you're, if you've uh, decided to follow Jesus, then this is a, still a pertinent story for how we do that. So let's jump in to uh, verse 8 of Daniel chapter 3, and we're just going to walk through the story and what, it, what it's talking about. So Daniel chapter 3, so uh, you know, he's made the edict, there's a statue, you worship it, or here's the consequences. So now he enters in some of the other guys who also work for Nebuchadnezzar, and they're going to make some accusations. So it says, at this time, some astrologers came forward and denounced the Jews. Well, the Jews is just Daniel and the other three, because they come from the tribe of Judah in Israel. So Judah, for short, is Jews, is where the term comes from. Uh, so they said to King Nebuchadnezzar, may the king live forever. Your majesty has issued a decree that everyone who hears the sound of the horn, flute, the zither, which I'm guessing is some kind of like, you know, you've ever seen like southern style instruments that no one's ever seen before in the mountains? That's my best guess. I have no clue what a zither is, but I'm sure it's some kind of complex thing. So if you find out what a zither is, let me know. Horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, pipe, and all kinds of music. And they must fall down and worship the image of gold. And that whoever does not fall down and worship will be thrown into a blazing furnace. You ever feel like you're given a choice? Like either, either you believe this whole set of things and you're vocal about it or there's consequences. Right? This is, the, this is where they're, they're put into it. You eat, it's not just that they can go, nah, we're, we're just indifferent to it. Like, you know, that's good for you guys. We're going to do a different thing. It's like, no, you're either with this program or there's consequences to it. We will cut you out. This was cancel culture way before cancel culture exists, right? You will be thrown into a blazing furnace. But there are some Jews whom you have set over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who pay no attention to you, your majesty. They neither serve your gods nor worship the image of gold you have set up. 
Now, why do they not pay attention to this edict? It was because they know that they have one primary command as people from Israel, and that is there's only one God they're allowed to bow down and worship, and he's not that image of gold. And so that this is whenever the music plays and everybody else hits the floor, they're just standing there. Like, we, we can't do that. Like, that's against what we believe and know is true. Now, there's never any instance in here where they go, they're, they're standing there and they're going, hey, all of you guys who are bowing down, you're all wrong. You, you don't even serve a real God. We serve the real God. You should be standing. They don't even do that. All it says is they just didn't bow down. That's it. They didn't be vocal about it. They didn't try to convince anybody. They just followed God. And that's it. And left it to that. <clears throat> so furious with rage, this is Nebuchadnezzar. He summons Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So these men were brought before the king. And Nebuchadnezzar said to them, Is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the image of gold I have set up? So he at least gives them, you know, he's trying to figure out, is this true or not? It's not just hearsay. Now when you, so he gives them this right here. Now when you hear the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, pipe, and all kinds of music, if you are ready to fall down and worship the image I've made, very good. All right, prove it to me. I'll, we'll, we'll drop the beat. If you will prove that this is just a lie, we can walk away from this, no problem. All right? But if you do not worship it, you will be thrown immediately into a blazing furnace. Then what God will be able to rescue you from my hand? Now remember, if you've, and in two, when you track along in Daniel 1 and 2 and now you're in 3, you'll notice that these guys have literally not caused any waves anywhere. They've not gone around picketing Babylon. They've not been posting social media posts to say how Babylon is the, the antichrist or the devil or whatever they want to say. They've not done anything. They've been serving as faithfully as possible and making decisions as they go along. And up until now, it's all been fine. Until Babylon asked them to do something that they can't do. And now there's when trouble shows up. And I think we, we can get uh, the idea that when we're following God, as long as we're nice about it, as long as we're as loving as possible, as long as we do all the things to be there, that we'll never have conflict. This story and plenty of others, because Jesus himself promises us that you will have conflict. You will have trouble if you follow him, because it literally means when we follow God, it is usually a natural challenge of our culture. It doesn't matter how nice we're going to be about it. You can be that. But have you ever been in this situation? I, I came across this multiple times, especially early on following Jesus, where you just, you just realize, hey, I was doing some things that is destructive to me. It's not right, and I need to quit. You don't even go out of your way to tell necessarily all your friends that you're doing it with, like, hey, you don't need to do that. You just stop doing it. And now when you're, then you get back around those same friends, because I can tell you, I, if, if, when I'm in my hometown, I'm from Tennessee, it's a smaller town outside of Nashville, um, I was not voted the person to become a missionary pastor, none of the above, okay? That's still a mystery even to me at this point in time, right? That's just not a thing. So when I, whenever I hit this point, if I was back around people that I used to do stuff around, and my wife's experienced this too, then you got a range of reactions. But usually the one that's not there is people going, oh, 
you're not going to do that with us anymore. I respect your decision. That's usually not the normal answer. Usually it is, what do you mean you're not going to do that anymore? Are you, you, are you saying you're better than me now? Like, are you saying I'm wrong for doing that? And you can be like, I didn't say any of those things. I just said I'm not going, I can't. I'm not doing that anymore. You see what I mean? You don't even have to go looking for conflict. But if we're following God and you're following Jesus, don't be surprised if it shows up. It has nothing to do with you. It has everything to do with when you walk out in a different way, it will naturally challenge the things around you that walk in opposite directions. It's how it works. These guys didn't go looking for trouble. They were placed there. And, and here's another thing. They're not even working in ministry. They're not a pastor. They're not anything. They work in government. They work for the king. And they're literally trying to figure out how do I stay faithful to God while serving a king that endorses every other God in the universe and every other way of life. And they are literally making every decision as they can. And in this time, all it did is lead them to face possibly burning alive for trying to walk. And again, what, it, what happened with Jesus was the most loving, truth-telling, grace-filled person to walk the earth. Where did it lead him? To a cross. Just because we're nice and all those things, it does not mean it's all going to be sunshine and rainbows. Some people are going to go, I want to live the life you're living. Other people are going to hand you a cross and try to walk you there. But again, it's not about whether we're pursuing it or not. It's just how can we walk faithfully with him. Let's keep going in the story. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to him, being King Nebuchadnezzar, saying, King Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. That's a bold move, right? When it's the guy who's going to put you to death. They said, we, we really don't need to defend ourselves here. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it. And he will, will deliver us from your majesty's hands. You remember back, Nebuchadnezzar was saying, if I do this, who's going to save you from my hand? What God will do so? They're like, well, we believe our God is that God. He's the guy. And we believe that he will. Right? Of which all of us can go, amen. Like, we love a good victory story. Right? But we're not, usually, even if we've read this story a thousand times, we're usually not prepared for the next verse that comes up that we may skip over plenty of times. Because right now, they're going, yay, we have, that's, that's our God. The one you're questioning whether or not this can happen, he's it, and we believe he will. But then we'll, look what they say next. But even if he does not, think about that. Even if he does not, we want you to know, your majesty, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you set up. Do we have a place in our life where we go, I absolutely believe God who is who he says he is and that he's perfectly capable of delivering me for anything. But even if he doesn't, I'm willing to accept that. I'm willing to accept the consequences of what that leads to. I'm willing to say he's still worth it rather than bowing down to whatever the other option is. Right? We can get on board a lot of times when it's, uh, hey, he's going to take care of it. Right? Right? 
But I guarantee you we've all been in stories where we're on the but even if he does not. But here's the thing. I think the key for Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego was that they knew God in a way that never made them question whether he was worthy to follow or not. So when they came across this decision, it wasn't like they were having to decide this for the first time. They were solid enough in who they believed who God was that this was a no-brainer for them. I didn't say it was easy, but they knew what the decision was supposed to be. And they're willing to go there. And I mentioned this, I think, earlier in the, pre, the post-service, but one thing I, we need to recognize, the entire Bible really doesn't even spend a lot of time trying to convince anyone that God is more than powerful to take care of anything. It kind of just assumes that when you open up page one. What that does try to do is convince us that God is good and trustworthy no matter what comes along. This is why there's story after story of how he's working with people. It assumes he's all-powerful, but our question is usually not, is God powerful enough? It's, is he still good? That if the, even if he does not happen, then is he, am I still willing to follow him? Because my following of God does not dictate, is not dictated by the circumstances I get myself into or that other people put into me. Circumstances are not the indicator. It's, do we believe he is who he says he is? So they have a, even if he does not, that even if this is just going to lead to them being burned alive, that they say, I am willing to do that because it's still better than compromising. It's still better than bowing down and worshiping what the world around me says you should worship. Because you know what the fact is, is they used to, years and years ago, they were no different than any of the rest. They used to worship those gods, and they have. That's actually why they're in Babylon, because their nation worshiped all the other gods, and they got taken there. They know that they're, they would rather die being faithful to the only God who provides life than to be shackled again under the weight of the gods that don't. That that's, that's the only choice they see as logical. See, following God, it requires surrender. We talk about surrender it's not just a hypothetical, it's not just a, it is an attitude of the heart, but it leads to how we live our lives. It leads to how do we surrender to God even when it's going to cost us. These guys are willing to lay it down, lay it all down for the, for, for the sake of God. And that's a challenge that we have to wrestle with. What are we willing to surrender. I've been faced with this question a lot in my life. It's actually one of the questions that led me into uh, vocational ministry years ago, but it's still one I wrestle with now as I look a few weeks ahead of time and know I'm moving to a completely different avenue. I'm giving up what I have now to go into a harder circumstance and do that. But here's the thing. My life is not my own. It is worth it to me as God has called me to do this it's worth it to me to follow him no matter where he says for me to go than for me to go, you know what? That doesn't lead to the job that I really want. It doesn't lead to my dream home and all that stuff. So maybe I'm just gonna know God. I'm, I'm okay. Maybe send somebody else to do that work. But I really, want, I really want some better pay. I really want these things. No, none of which can be a bad thing. 
right? There's nothing about having a nice house or having good pay and all the stuff that's, that's bad in itself. But if it is something I'd rather compromise with than what God asked me to do, then I have a problem, right? We, we understand where we're not surrendered in our lives when it's an area that we're willing to tell God no. If the answer to him saying, hey, would you do this, and it's a no, that's an area we have not surrendered to him. It's an area that these guys were more than willing to go past because they said, there's nothing in my life worth more than, than walking in faithfulness with God, and if necessary, dying faithful to God. Right? Let's keep going. Then Nebuchadnezzar was furious with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and his attitude toward them changed. You ever felt like you had somebody in your life, the attitude changed when you came across this part of your life? Right? When, it, when, when everything's been going good, like even for these guys. Prior to this, they just kept getting promoted. They were on like the Babylon fast track for the corporate ladder up until now. Then all of a sudden, once they make the decision that, hey, I can't, I can't go there with you, the attitude changes. Right? It's not like we have any experience with that in parts of our lives or social media world or whatever, right? Everybody's fine as long as we're going with the program. But as soon as we, we say, hey, I, can't, I just can't do that. Again, not even, don't be obnoxious about it. And it's none, nothing to do with that. It's just saying, I can't do that. You'll see some attitudes change real fast. You'll find out who, who's willing to cut you out of your life. Or, or maybe we're that person. And we find out, oh, I'm that person. The attitude changes when we don't go with the program. So he, he ordered the furnace heated seven times hotter than usual, as if fire won't do the trick in itself. He just ramps it up seven times hotter. Why? Makes him feel better, I think. Because uh, if it was just normal hot, it would still do the exact same thing. Uh, so he commanded some of the strongest soldiers in his army to tie up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and throw them into the blazing furnace. So these men, wearing their robes, trousers, turbans, and other clothes, were bound and thrown into the blazing furnace. The king's command was so urgent and the furnace so hot that the flames of the fire killed the soldiers who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these three men, firmly tied, fell into the blazing furnace. So this is the guys who took them there and tossed them in, they all die. Because the, the fire is so hot that they just got too close and it kills them. That's how, how it's working. So they get thrown in to the blazing furnace. It says, Then Nebuchadnezzar leaped to his feet in amazement and asked his advisors, Weren't there three men that we tied up and threw into the fire? They replied, Certainly, your majesty. He said, Look, I see four men walking around in the fire, unbound and unharmed, and the fourth looks like a son of the gods. We may be, you may be feel, really familiar with this story, but I don't want to think about that. He he throws these guys in, it should be a closed case, and all of a sudden they're just strolling around. And it's not just three of them, there's a fourth. And he literally says the phrase, and this is in the Old Testament Hebrew, that is a, is a divine person, a person in human form, but is not just a person, fourth one, walking around with them in there. And he recognizes this has to be a son of the gods which most, nearly any theologian today would recognize this is just an instance where God shows up in human form of which later we get to know his name as Jesus when he is born. 
But this is God's presence going into the fire. Because following God means that we're not alone. We can look at these hard circumstances in our life and sometimes go, I don't know if I can do that. All right, nine times out of ten, if not ten out of ten, no, we can't. It's God's presence with us that makes it possible. There's never a time in the book of Daniel where they ever go, yeah, these guys pulled this off because of how smart they were or because of, you know, they were faithful people. No, it always said it's because God was with them is why they were able to do this. And they get thrown into the fire. They accepted the consequences that the culture around them said was what they were due. And the only reason they get saved is because God doesn't just go, okay, you, great job, guys. You guys go figure this out. I'll see you on the other side. He goes, no, I'm going into the fire with them and eventually walk them out because they belong to me and he shows up. We can undervalue the fact that so much that we put on our own shoulders is not for us to carry. It is literally making room for the presence of God to do this in us and through us. That we're making room for God to show up in people's lives. It's not going to be because we're great at arguing. It's not going to be because we had a really good Facebook argument and, and, or meme that showed people, here's finally the truth. It's definitely not going to be browbeating people to get to know Jesus. It's either we surrender and walk like Jesus or we're a noisy gong, which is what 1 Corinthians talks about. We have to make room. We have to be willing to surrender. And because, why? Because God is with us. Not because of us, because God is with us. <clears throat> Look at the end of the story. Nebuchadnezzar then approached the opening of the blazing furnace and shouted, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out, come here. You notice his tone, his attitude's changed back the other direction now. Because what he just saw, he can't shake. He says, servants of the Most High God. Even from a person who does, you know, King Nebuchadnezzar has plenty of gods in Babylon. And the God of the Israelites is not one of them. And he verbally proclaims that the God that they serve is the most high, the one who sits on top of the rest, which is a big statement. He goes from impacting them with the consequence of a fire and burning them alive to being the, the one proclaiming God is supreme over all. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out of the fire and the satraps, prefects, governors, and royal advisors crowded around them. These are all the guys that accused them beforehand, right? They're there to see the show and see justice be done and they witness this miracle. They witness these guys stroll around and walk out without even being touched. And they saw that the fire had not harmed their bodies nor was the hair of their head singed. Their robes were not scorched and there was not, no smell of fire on them. Then Nebuchadnezzar said, Praise be to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who sent his angel and rescued his servants. You see this? Praise to their God because he sent his angel to save them. He sent what he recognizes as, a, as an angelic being, but it, we know it's a presence of God with them. You see that? It wasn't because of anything they said. It was because of their willingness to surrender that leads not just the king, not just the ruling class, but next is going to talk about how it leads everybody in the kingdom of Babylon into a right understanding of this is the true God. 
says they trusted in him. This is still Nebuchadnezzar talking. They trusted in him and defied the king's command. Who's the king? It's the one talking. So he's talking about himself in the third person. But he's actually praising them for defying his own decree. And were willing to give up their lives rather than serve or worship any god except their own god. Therefore I decree that the people of any nation or language who say anything against the god of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be cut into pieces. Yeah, he takes it, he takes it up a notch there. And their houses be turned into piles of rubble for no other god can save in this way. Then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon. You notice this, though. Although he, you know, he's, he's still the king of Babylon, so he's still doing things his way. But he, he recognizes God himself and says, there is no other God that can save in this way. How much, what are we, how much are we willing to give up to have people in our lives that we may be praying for, we may be hoping come to know Jesus? How much are we willing to give up for our lives to lead them to that statement? Not our words, not anything else, but our lives will lead them to that. Because I can tell you, and you know this, we all know this intuitively, you can tell the people in your lives who say one thing and live a different way. You know it, right? And you, you, you can play nice with them and be like, yeah, thanks for the advice. And then when you walk away, you go, I'm not following anything they say because I know how they live, right? It's like taking financial advice from someone who is bankrupt, it doesn't work. And we, we wouldn't do that in a heartbeat. But what we don't usually recognize is, are, are we that person? When it comes to our faith, are we that person that looks, acts, breathes just like everybody else around us, but we just slip the name of Jesus in to the conversation on occasion? Or are we actually the one that's trying to live out the humility, the service, the love, the grace, the truth of who Jesus has called us to be, to where our lives reflect to people the truth. There's an old quote, and it usually gets attributed to St. Francis of Assisi, even though we're not quite sure if, who, who said it. But he has this famous quote that just says, preach the gospel always, and if necessary, use words. And this was the guy who, who was from a rich family who gave up everything he had became poor so he could serve people who he was never around before. He was willing to surrender. But we, we, are we those people? Are we able to surrender to a point where we're willing to give up our own privilege, our own whatever that obstacle is so that other people are impacted, not just by our words, but by our lives? Does the gospel preach through our lives. One thing I learned through traveling to lots of different countries over time was that especially when you're in a place where you can't speak the language, the first thing people pick up is how you behave and how you treat other people. Because even though they can't understand what you're saying and you can't understand them, they understand if you're treating someone with dignity or not. Because they can hear it, they can see it. And let me give you a little trick. Just because we can understand what someone's saying, they're still picking up your body language how you're treating people, and they're still weighing your words against what you're actually living. And see, Jesus didn't call us to be the greatest arguers of all time. He called us to live a life that should demonstrate a life in the kingdom of God. And this is what 
these three guys, I think, got 600 years before Jesus arrives on the planet. Why? Because they already were taught that from their relationship with the God of the Old Testament. They already were in, and they didn't have to wrestle with this question. They knew their identity. They knew that through being Israelites, following God. They knew who he said he was, and they knew what it meant to compromise. And they chose to willingly surrender their lives in order to stay obedient. And their surrender leads to this statement from the king. And not only that, he, the king decrees that the people of any nation and language also recognize God. Now, when you get to the New Testament, there's this famous verse, it's Matthew 28, 18 to 20, which we call the Great Commission. It's literally like our commission as people, as followers of Jesus and what we're called to do, where Jesus says, you, we are all supposed to literally go out into the world, preach the gospel. We're supposed to disciple all nations. Why? So that people of all tribes, all nations, all tongues can get to know and become a part of God's family. See, these guys do this, and this leads to the proclamation to people of all nations, all languages, all tribes, to hear the truth of this God, the one who saves like no other, the one who leads to actual life. Not because, again, they did anything except for being willing to surrender their lives. Here's the question we got to wrestle with. Do our lives reflect our culture, or do we reflect our faith? When people walk with us, which do they see? Do they see the same person they meet no matter where they go, but you, we just talk about Jesus more? Or do they see someone who is, who is actually walking with God and doing it in a way that they're continually being transformed by God's presence? So that when the world says, hey, you should be angry about this, you should be do all these things. You should be grasping for power, grasping for all these things. And you go, no, no, I left that kingdom. The kingdom I'm a part of is one of joy, of peace, of patience. It's ruled by God. It's not ruled by the emotions of the, the things around us. It's not ruled the same way the world goes. We are meant to live a higher calling than that. We're meant to follow the way of Jesus, not the way of the world with Jesus stamped on top of it. And there's a big difference. There's a reason why many people have a hard time sometimes with the church or with people who we call ourselves followers of Jesus. And it's not because we don't have the truth. It's because we haven't lived it enough. We haven't made room. And I'm not talking about try harder. I'm talking about making room for God's spirit to demonstrate the truth in us. That when the world says you should be reaching for anger, instead we reach for forgiveness. When we're supposed to be reaching for power, we instead reach for service, servanthood. The way of Jesus is different. And these guys got it long before. And it led to so many others hearing the truth of the gospel before the gospel came into the world, really. Where are we in that walk? You know, my life decisions, and, and I'm definitely far from perfect in this, but my life decisions are not dictated by what I want in, in essence. It's dictated by what, does, what did God create me to do and how can I fulfill that? And whatever else, 
whether it's my job, whether it's my home, whether it's my life direction for my kids, whatever else, it has to go through that grid first. And sometimes that means giving up the things that our culture around us says you should be striving for in order for me to make room for what God wants and for the people God wants to be a part of his family. But that's the question, where, where are we? Where are we with the culture around us and where are we with our faith? Maybe for you, this is something that you have wrestled with and you go, oh, maybe there's, there's an area that brought up to you this morning and said, oh, that's an area that I know if God said for me to do it, I'm gonna tell him a no. And that's an area of surrender. Maybe you realize, oh, maybe I'm not the best with voicing out my faith in a way that demonstrates Jesus. Maybe I've been using too much of the arguments of the people around me to try to force people into the truth instead of trying to walk with them in love and humility and gaining that power through influence, through the spirit of God. Whatever that may be, we are all probably gonna be in different phases of that life right now. What is it for you? What is it that you need to surrender, not just this morning, but this week, that you can take a step closer to who God has created you to be and to be able to live that out? Because we all know we need that more right now than we have at any point in time. <clears throat> we need people who don't just say their faith, but who live it. Where people can watch you and me and go, I want that. Where are you? So I'm, what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna pray for us, but I wanna encourage you when we do our worship time, that if you take some time, come up here to the front, pray, lace, if there's something on your heart, lay it down to God and say, God, I, I, want, I need to surrender that this morning. If it means you need to go back, talk to someone in the connect stations or, uh, or, or fill out something on the connect card and turn it in so we can follow up, whatever that may be, ask God and then as we worship, give him room to speak what that may be because that's the church we wanna be. We wanna be the church that people recognize God is with them wherever they go. That's, if, if that was all people got, that would be a win. So let's, let's take a moment, let's pray this morning. <clears throat> Father, we thank you first and foremost for your word. We thank you, God, for your willingness to not just say this is how it should be done, but for you to come to take on our human condition and even be willing to go to the cross and be put to death for us. You made a way for us to come into your family and it wasn't just by you speaking the truth, but it was you demonstrating your love and truth through your life, through your willing sacrifice. God, help us, challenge us today and how can we be those people? If we say we follow you, God, how can we get, uh, grow closer to you? How can we allow the Holy Spirit that you've given us to lead us to greater areas of freedom and to lead us to make room for more of you in our lives so that, so that not just for us to be impacted, but so that we can invite others into your kingdom, invite others into the peace uh, that we've experienced. God, I pray for anything that, that any of us are wrestling with this morning. Help us, God, to find a practical step of how we lay that down today so that we can follow you in greater and greater ways. In Jesus' name, amen. 
Thanks again for tuning in to this week's podcast. We'd love to connect with you and hear from you on how this week's podcast impacted you. You can always connect with us through our app, Beach Church Jacks, which is found on the iTunes Store or the Google Play Store. And you can always go to our website, beachchurchjacks.com. Have a great day.